to our scripture reading today. It's Ephesians 2. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Good to be with you always. And even though I can't see you, I don't know what camera is on me right now, but you're always in my mind, those of you who are joining us online. And if you haven't done so already, take a moment and say hello and let us know where you're worshiping from. If you were here a few weeks ago, you no doubt remember the, and deeply appreciate the mind-blown emoji that I used to capture the end of Ephesians 1, right? I mean, that was the most impressive thing you've ever seen, I'm sure. Uh, but I'll have you know that I made an incredibly creative slide sequence to capture the essence of all of chapter 2. Actually, I just told Abby what I wanted, and then she did it lickety-split because it would have taken me three times as much time to do it. So Abby is awesome. But here they are. This is how I would capture verses 1 through 3. So not a whole lot of warm, fuzzy encouragement in those verses. We learned that we're born dead in our trespasses and sins. Every one of us, by our very natures, are children of wrath who because of those sinful natures follow after the evil prince of this world, gratifying all the sinful desires of our flesh and minds. But that wonderful contraction that contrasts what was but now what is, we learned in verses 4 through 10 that God, because He is rich in mercy and has such great love for us, has made us alive in Christ. It is nothing that we have done. All we bring to the table is our sin. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, by, through, and in. It is through and through the grace and work and gift of God. We can't boast one little bit. And He even prepared good works for us to do. He delights to work through us to glorify His name. And then last week, in verses 11 and 12, we learned that at one time, the Gentiles had some significant disadvantages, to put it mildly. You know, simply because they weren't Jews. They weren't God's chosen people. 
We've already seen in Ephesians how being chosen by God is a really big deal. But in Old Testament times, the Gentiles were not the chosen ones. They didn't have the covenants. They were strangers to God's promises. They were without hope, alienated from God, and without Him in this world. So not only were they separated from God because of their sin, there was this ginormous chasm between Jews and Gentiles that was virtually insurmountable as far as they were concerned. And that's what we talked about last week. But there's that glorious word again. And this is what we're going to get into today. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. From verse 13 to the end of, chapter, end of the chapter, we're going to see and delight in the fact that the gospel doesn't just remove the separation between God and sinners. It also removes every barrier in our relationships with one another, which is incredible because we are crazy skilled in creating any and every kind of hostile dividing wall between each other that we can. But no matter who we are, where we've come from, or what our stories are, when God makes each of us as individuals alive in Christ, He also makes all of us one in Christ. A beautifully diverse yet unified and united community, obeying the Great Commission so that more people can be folded into the body of Christ called the church. It's a truly breathtaking and awe-inspiring reality. So there you go, Ephesians chapter 2 via emojis. No, sorry. <laughs> Specifically, we are looking at verses 13 through 17 this morning. There's a bit of an interesting dynamic going on in these verses. Paul is writing, of course, to the whole church, Jews and Gentiles alike, everyone who worshiped together at Ephesus. But there are times when Paul kind of writes more to the Gentiles than he does to the Jews, and other times when he's writing more to the Jews than he is to the Gentiles. But he wanted all of them to be paying close attention. It's kind of like if you're a parent when you're disciplining one of your kids, but the other ones had better be listening in too because there's plenty for everyone to learn. You understand what I'm saying? So that, I'll try to clue you in when that's happening. Again, verses 11 through 12 that we looked at last week and this week, uh, verse 13, all of those three verses are speaking to the Gentiles. So let's dig in. So, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The words but now provide a wonderful release of tension. Because remember, and that's something that Paul is very insistent that we do, he's been reminding the Gentile Christians in Ephesus that at one time they were dead in their sin, separated from God and His promises. They weren't members of the covenant community of Israel. Apart from Christ, they had no hope. I mean, it was just all bad news. I hope and I pray that each of us feels the weight of that, not just for them, but for us, because that's our story. Do you know how hopeless and helpless we were before we were made alive in Christ? Do you know how desperate and bleak our situation was? Do you know that we were and are completely at the mercy of God? 
Do you feel the weight of the sinful nature that was the essence of who you were apart from Him? Do you know how infinitely far away from Him we all once were because of our sin? That's what Paul wanted those Gentile Christians to know and remember deep in their souls. But now, whew, all that has changed. But now there are no longer, we are no longer the godless, hopeless people that we were before Christ. But now in Christ, the Gentiles have been brought near to God. He didn't just come for the Jews. He made himself personally known and accessible even to the Gentiles, to us. How? The only reason that but now is possible is because of that red drop. It is only the shed blood of Jesus Christ that has made it possible for us who were once far off to have been brought near, to be forgiven of our sin, justified. And because we have been justified, we are reconciled to God. We'll talk about what that word reconciled means in a couple of minutes. This verse alone should astound us. A couple of weeks ago, David read a quote by um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, and it said this, good works can't produce salvation, but there is something radically wrong if salvation doesn't produce good works. I think we can say something similar here. We who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. If the salvation that has been provided for us doesn't stir us so deeply that we can't help but erupt in praise and gratitude, something is radically wrong. If it doesn't cause you to fall on your knees in humble surrender and adoration, something's radically wrong. You don't really understand the magnificence of the gospel, the weight of the goodness and the glory of God made known to us in and through Jesus. So in verses 11 to 13, we established that Paul was kind of talking more to the Gentiles. In verse 14, he kind of comes back to center, and then and he's talking to both Jews and Gentiles. And then in 15, he focuses a little bit more on the Jews specifically. He's making eye contact with everybody. But let's uh, start with verse 14. This is to everybody. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So peace is an incredibly significant word. I learned that peace, or irene in the Greek, occurs nearly a hundred times in the New Testament, but it has its roots in the Hebrew word shalom, which was the word most frequently used in the Old Testament. Both of the words can refer to inner peace, the kind of peace that is rooted in a deep and personal relationship with God, the kind of peace that comes from having the image of God, once marred by our original sin, restored in those who place their faith in Christ. But both of those words can also refer to external peace, the absence of division, hatred, and violence between people and nations. And that's really the kind of peace that we're talking about in these verses. 
But honestly, you can't really have the second without the first. Both kinds of peace are made possible one way and one way only. He himself is our peace. Isaiah 9, 6 calls the Messiah the Prince of Peace. And the prophet Micah declared, this one will be our peace. Jesus does more than bring peace. Jesus is peace personified. It is Christ alone who makes peace possible between sinners and God. And therefore, it is Christ alone who can bring true and lasting peace between Jews and Gentiles, Muslims and Buddhists, white and black, privileged and unprivileged, browns and stealers. If you were here last week, you'll remember that we talked about that long-standing and intense rivalry. We're going to stick with it because it's an innocuous example that resonates with us here in Steeler country. I mean, come on, who doesn't remember when Turkey Jones sacked Terry Bradshaw in one of the most famously brutal tackles in NFL history? I mean, they've got some great plays over the years, but there has also been some legit hostility. Remember not long ago when Miles Garrett ripped Mason Rudolph's helmet off of him and hit him over the head with it? No doubt there has been some ridiculous arrogance on both sides, each thinking the other is less than. The hostility between Jews and Gentiles was exponentially worse. Listen to this quote that I ran across from commentator William Barclay. He said, the Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles, said the Jews, were created by God to be fuels, fuel for the fires of hell. God, they said, loves only Israel of all nations that he had made. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need, for that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. Until Christ came, the Gentiles were an object of contempt to the Jews. The barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of the Jewish boy or girl was carried out. Such contact with the Gentile was the equivalent of death. So you see, the hostility and the vileness of racism has been alive for centuries. Christ came to do away with it. He came to do away with hostility in us and between us. Through his death on the cross, Jesus made reconciliation with God and with one another possible. In a beautiful irony, God used the bloody violence of Jesus' death on the cross to establish peace restored relationship with God and restored relationships among those who were once divided, as divided as the Jews and Gentiles. And this peace isn't just some truce or treaty between bitter enemies, but rather by dying and rising again, Jesus broke down and completely destroyed the dividing wall of hostility between them and made a whole new community in Christ The designation of circumcision and uncircumcision that Paul referenced in verse 11 that we talked about last week completely lost its significance because of what Christ accomplished. Paul wrote elsewhere that there is neither Jew nor Greek, 
There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. All of us, circumcised or uncircumcised, Jews and Gentiles alike. And that's really what it means to be reconciled. To reconcile is to bring into peace or harmony. It's to restore communion. But it's so much more than just not being at odds with each other anymore, to have no more hostility. When there is legit reconciliation, it's not just the absence of bad, but there is then the presence of so much good. I think of you the same way I think of me. We're equals, both the same. In biblical language, I love you as I love myself. I want your good. I am for you. It's not just that we're no longer at war with one another. We're on the same team. We're partnering with one another, moving in the same direction, and we're glad about it because there's genuine peace in us and between us in Christ. So as Paul continues in verse 15, he turns his attention to the Jews. But let's start at the beginning of the sentence. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. So if the bad news for the Gentiles was that they were far away from God, because they didn't have all the benefits of being his chosen people, then the bad news for the Jews as the ones who were near was that they got it all twisted up. They were full of religious pride because they were God's chosen people. Steeped in self-righteousness, they moved far away from God and they didn't even know it. They completely missed the entire point. Let me explain. When God himself first established and set apart the nation of Israel to be his chosen people, he commanded them to remain separate from the nations for a time. We know now that that time is over and done with, but for a time, that is exactly how God ordered things. And he did it in that way in order to protect his people from the idolatry and immorality of the nations around them, and to teach them what it meant to be the covenant people of God, how they were able and meant to be in relationship with Him. That's why He gave them the law, the commandments and ordinances, to use Paul's language. It was through their disobedience, I'm sorry, it was through their obedience to the law that they could be in relationship with God. But they failed miserably. We all do. And this is precisely why we celebrate Jesus. You see, Jesus fulfilled every last detail and demand of the law through his perfect obedience. He did what we could never do and was thereby able to pay the penalty for our sinful rebellion through his death on the cross. And that's why Paul could write that Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments expressed in ordinances. The law that God gave through Moses on Mount Sinai had fulfilled its function. It revealed our sin, it pointed us to Christ, 
and it showed us how desperately we need him. When Christ obeyed it perfectly and then died on the cross on our behalf, the law as it was meant to function in the Old Testament was no longer necessary. Where obedience to the law had been the mark of those who were faithful to God, now faith in Christ became the mark. The Jews could no longer claim that the law set them apart and gave them privilege over the Gentiles. Now, through his shed blood, Jesus alone is the one who justifies us all by grace through faith in him, Jew and Gentile. No more hostility, no more dividing walls. We are equals, all of us on level ground. And through faith in Christ, we become one. I thought a word picture might be helpful for those of you who are more visual learners. So you can see here a picture of the temple area in Jerusalem. So in the middle is the, you know, kind of temple proper, if you will. But you can see how it's surrounded by that outer area that has a wall entirely around it. So the courtyard within that outermost wall was for the Gentiles. They could go in there, but they could go no further. There were actually signs posted on the walls that barred them entry from, you know, into the temple proper area, if you will, and warned them that they, if they ignored those signs, the penalty would be death. But just like circumcision and the law, this was another thing. The Jews got all messed up in their own hearts and minds. You see, the temple was designed this way on purpose. It wasn't intended to shun the Gentiles. It was meant to keep them safe from death. And it was meant to keep that which was holy separate from all that was not. I mean, even the Jews had some rigorous requirements before they could go in. Nobody waltzed into the temple without making sure they were doing it on God's terms. But once Jesus completed his work on the cross, not only was there no longer a need for dividing walls, there was no longer need for a temple. The Bible tells us that when we are made alive in Christ, we actually become temples for the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And as a matter of fact, next week in verses 21 and 22, we'll see that together we are all being built into one holy temple in the Lord and we, we become the dwelling place of God. From the moment God called and set apart Abraham in Genesis 12, he made a promise that all peoples on earth would be blessed through him all peoples. His good and perfect redemptive plan was to set the Israel's, Israelites apart for a time in order to reveal to them who he was, to give the law, to set up the sacrificial system, all the while preparing their hearts and ours for who was to come and through whom he would indeed bless all peoples on earth. The Jews were simply the ones through whom God chose to reveal himself and his plan of salvation to the world. But they just let it go all to their heads. They thought they were better and more privileged than everyone else and that it would always be that way. But look, we can't be too hard on them. We do the exact same thing. I mean, pick a topic and we will figure out ways to divide over it. We have seen that 
most especially the past two years. We'll figure out a way of discerning who's smarter, who's better, who's got more of an advantage or an edge, who's a little bit more special. God hates that. That's why he sent Jesus, so that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, or however many groups we manage to divide ourselves into, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So over and over in this chapter, Paul keeps making this point, but he just kind of keeps adding layers to it. He wants to make sure we get it. So bear with me once more as we get this progression firmly rooted in our hearts and minds. When God first created Adam and Eve, they existed in perfect relationship with one another and with Him. No walls, no sin, no hostility, nothing but peace in them, between them, and with God. I can't even imagine what that would be like. But all of that changed in Genesis chapter 3. Because Adam and Eve chose sin, an unbreachable barrier kept them separated from God and at odds with one another, a barrier they were utterly incapable of removing on their own. And that's been humanity's story ever since. The story from Genesis 4 onward is how God worked to overcome our sin and make reconciliation with Him and one another possible. He chose a guy, somewhat randomly really, Abraham was just a regular pagan like everyone around him, but he drew, God drew Abraham to Himself and out of him created the nation of Israel. And it was to Israel, the Jews, that He gave the law which put into great detail what God required and what was necessary for their sin to be dealt with so that they could be in relationship with Him. And it was extensive and impossible to perfectly obey. But it was only to the Jews that He gave this law for a time. And so for that period of redemptive history, they did have an advantage. They were closer to God than the Gentiles who were, as Paul said, at that time far away from God, separated from Him and Jews by that dividing wall. The good news of the gospel is that that is no longer true. Jesus came. He perfectly fulfilled the law and then died on our behalf to pay the penalty for our sin, and He rose again to eternal life. Because of His shed blood, the Gentiles were brought near. But more than that, by perfectly fulfilling the law, Christ removed the dividing wall. It's gone forever. And now we're all the same. We've all got the same disadvantage, right? We're, being, we're born separated from God, dead in our sin, and we are all offered new and eternal life by grace through faith in Christ's shed blood alone. That's what verse 17 tells us. And He, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. While Jesus was here, He Himself said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father. No one except through me. 
It's no longer through the Jewish community. It's no longer through the law. It is through Christ alone that we have peace and are reconciled to God and to one another. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrased it. He said, Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of the hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals and so made us equals. The cross got us to embrace. It's a spectacularly beautiful and powerful thing. Jesus not died not only to reconcile men with God, but to also reconcile us with one another. Unity is a central goal of the gospel. Christ reconciles us not by making us renounce an important part of our history or our stories, but by giving us a whole new identity in Christ that takes priority over everything else, everything else. And the way that Christ unites us is by creating the church. And that's what we're going to look, toward, uh, look into more next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your living and active word that penetrates our hearts and renews our minds. Through the power of your spirit, Lord, we pray that it would have its full effect in and through us that we might be a united people, each and every one of us overwhelmed at what has been made possible for us in Christ. Thank you for breaking down every wall that divides us. Lord, our prayer this morning is that we would not only embrace the peace you died to bring us, but that we might be bearers of that peace to all those around us. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So Paul understood that the gospel demolishes every peripheral issue that we divide over. And instead, Christ becomes our deepest and truest identity, the one who governs all of our relationships, all of life. So the questions that we should be asking ourselves are in response to that, what does he want of me? How can I please him? How can I most glorify him? Because of this outstanding news of what he's made possible for me in Christ. What area of my life, what aspects of my character still reflect hostility because of my sin and they prevent me, it prevents me from reflecting God's glory. From whom am I withholding peace because I'm right. Who do I believe that I'm better than? Who do I believe, or, or, or in what ways do I believe I'm more deserving of God's blessing or favor? Let us not be deceived in thinking that, that these, this teaching is for someone else, another group of people. It is for us right here, right now, in this church in Beaver County, all the places God has planted us. And so as this next song is sung, let us be reminded that the gospel puts secondary issues exactly where they belong 
in order that Christ Jesus may be most prominent, most visible, most glorified in everything we do. Jesus over everything.